0: the collaborative divorce process, which is something I know we both are passionate about. Um, What is collaborative divorce? Thank you for joining me today. I am excited to introduce you to a colleague of mine, Shannon Lynch who is also a divorce attorney and a mediator. I've had the privilege of knowing Shannon since I started in family law about 15 years ago. Shannon is committed to helping people find constructive resolution during one of the most difficult transitions in life, divorce. I'm thrilled to have her here today to talk about collaborative divorce, to talk about cooperative divorce, and also to discuss mediation. Thank you, Shannon, for coming today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's amazing that we've known each other for 15 years.
0: It is. Wow. And and we've had the privilege of working together on several cases and helping several families through the divorce process. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you today about is tips for families who are facing divorce and what they can expect in a divorce process. So I wanna start off by asking you, what is mediation?
1: So mediation is a way that people can meet with a neutral third person, which would be me or you, a trained mediator, and uh, that mediator will help them get their issues settled. They can do it uh, without attorneys if they choose to do that, They can do it, uh, with their attorneys coming in, um, you can do it in separate rooms, you can do it in the same room, but it's just a way to really help people not have to go to the courthouse, which is not a fun thing.
0: uh, It's very true. And you and I both share that opinion that so often the courthouse just becomes a place of destruction for families.
1: Absolutely. And
0: we see the fallout of that um, for years following a divorce. Mm -hmm. What I love about mediation is that it really is a confidential way for people to explore all kinds of options. Yes. Um, One of the interesting things, I think, um, in Texas, the way we do mediation is it typically is a long day, right?
1: It's a long day. And it's, it's difficult. You know, when I started mediating, which was a very long time ago, um, you know, I I thought, oh, this is going to be much easier than litigation. I don't have to go to the courthouse. I don't have to prepare, you know, pleadings and discovery and all that kind of stuff. But it's actually exhausting as a mediator because you're working so hard and trying to keep people in that process of being um, conciliatory and looking at the other side as opposed to just going in no holds barred and, and wanting to win at any cost.
0: Yeah, I think the, the, you know, approaching mediation in the way of, you know, a win-loss situation really sets up both parties to be losers in the process. So I think one of the important things is to be able to stay flexible. Right. Um, what are some tips you have for couples who are preparing to enter mediation?
1: Um, I think the most important thing is to really be prepared Um, if your attorney or I have sent documents such as an inventory and appraisement or a parenting plan worksheet, don't come to meet the mediation with those unprepared because it just, it either prolongs the day or it causes the parties to have to do research during the day as opposed to just working on what their issues are what their goals and interests are. Um, So that's probably the biggest issue that I have um, that makes it much more difficult is people coming in that are unprepared. And sometimes I will send them away and you can figure it out pretty early in the morning um, if they're not prepared and you can really kind of figure out if it's not gonna go anywhere. So instead of spending the entire day, usually with me sitting in one room and them going through their documents, I just say, hey, why don't you come back Let's reset it in a week or two, depending on everybody's schedules, and do it when you're prepared.
0: That makes good sense. I think um, when it comes to preparation, you just mentioned something that I think is so important, especially in any conflict resolution process, and that is to really drill down into goals and interests. I think it's easy to set an expectation in your mind, to have a position. This is this is you know my bottom line, and this is what I have to get. Um, and so often I think it's more important to kind of unpack why it is that you want that, right? So the simple question of why do you want that can be really helpful. What role mm-hmm. do you see goals and interests playing in a conflict resolution process?
1: Uh, I think it's very important. I think if someone comes in and says, I'm just gonna throw out an example out there, I have to have the house. And then you unpack, I like that word mm-hmm. that you used, and you go backwards a little, and, and what is it about the house that they have to have it? Is it the fact that they built it or that their grandmother's furniture fits really well in it? Or is it that they think it's better for the children to be able to stay in the house? Or is it just because they don't want the other side to have the house? So once you figure that out, then you can look at, uh, you know, you can kind of take that next step and look at, their interests and their needs and the finances on those. Maybe someone, uh, maybe the non-money person that's a non-wage earner is wanting the house, but in reality, they really can't afford it. So if you get them to see really what underlies those goals and interests, and you get the other side to look at what that person's goals and interests are, then you can get much more creative and be much more flexible in how you determine how that should look
0: i think that's exactly right and we we know that then we can like begin to brainstorm options and we can look at different scenarios and i you know i've heard of some couples who actually end up you know keeping the house for the children and they take turns sharing that whether that's a good long-term solution or not we'll (laughs) leave to the discussions between them and their lawyers but you know what i just love is the creative approach and i think when we really focus on why is it that i want that then it just opens up a, a much bigger world of possibilities. Yes, yes. Um, taking that that skill of looking at goals and interests, let's talk about the collaborative divorce process, which is something I know we both are passionate about. Um, what is collaborative divorce?
1: So collaborative divorce is a process, and it's actually statutory. In fact, Texas was the first state in the country to make it statutory and actually put it into the family code. Um, And it is a process wherein both parties hire collaboratively trained attorneys, hopefully (laughs) collaboratively trained attorneys, and they will sit down at a series of meetings. Um, They sign a collaborative participation agreement that uh, really the bottom line is, if the case doesn't settle, both attorneys have to withdraw, which is a big disincentive to not settle. But you can also work with neutral people in that process usually will have a financial neutral if the um you know if it's a larger case with a lot of money or a lot of uh difficult issues and a mental health neutral that will act kind of as a coach during the process help the meetings go smoothly you can have four way meetings with attorneys and clients you can have six-way meetings with these other professionals and again it's not a cheap way to do it, people, some people think it's much less expensive to do it collaboratively. It's really not, but the toll and the expense on a family if they don't try to do something collaboratively, at least to start with, can be way more expensive in terms of trauma to the children and uh, difficult or impossible relationships continuing between the ex-spouses. Oh, I think, I think you're exactly right that um, if we just look at the
0: monetary cost of, of whether it's collaborative divorce or traditional litigation, I mean, the costs are high. Divorce is not inexpensive, Right. but I think measuring the, the trauma on the family as a whole is a really important thing to keep in mind. Um, I know one of the added benefits that you just mentioned of collaborative process is using these neutrals to come in. And I've even seen cases where we'll bring in a child specialist to really be the voice of the children. A lot of times people wonder, what role will my children have in our divorce process? What do you tell people
1: when they ask you that? Well, some of that depends on the age of the child. Um, and. and uh, I guess a lot of times people will think that the younger children shouldn't have any voice in that and they shouldn't be telling their parents what they want. Um, And and I can see uh, the wisdom in, in that, but at the same time, when you're doing a parenting plan, which would be what your names are as a conservator, what your rights, privileges, duties and powers are. What's the visitation and possession schedule and how much child support is being paid? Is there health insurance uh, that someone's going to have to be ordered to provide? So I think um, looking at the children's needs, not at the parents' needs, is of utmost importance. And if you have, uh, you know, you can even have a child that might have some special needs. uh, And you can get really creative with those kinds of things in the collaborative process. And away from the courthouse, the closer you get to the courthouse and at the courthouse, you can't be very creative. The judge is halfway listening to your case, maybe signing other pleadings during that time, um, and they are trying to get you off their docket. And, um,
0: and they're also constrained. I think a lot of people don't realize yeah. that
1: um, we have a body
0: of law called the Family Code, and of course, you know, if you're watching this, you don't need to be an expert on family law. But it is just important to know that the way our system is structured is that there is a there is a possession order in the Family Code, and the judges are constrained by that. They don't they don't get to do what they want to do. They don't get to do what they think is always the best thing they have Mm -hmm. to do what they can do within the bounds of the law. Right. And so that goes with property division. It goes with, you know, the possession time for the kids and also child support. Right.
1: And you can really get creative with the help of two well-trained collaborative attorneys and a mental health professional with regards to that parenting plan and, and really go away from the, standard possession order that we have in the family code and do something that works for this family, that works for what their jobs are, that works for what the kids' um, events and um, activities are. And again, at the courthouse, you know, you might get first, third, and fifth weekends. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take into account uh, that the kids may be playing volleyball or uh, soccer on on the weekends that one of the parents have them. So. Again, creativity and flexibility, I think, is is key to the collaborative process.
0: I always think of it as you know, it's like buying buying a jacket off the rack versus having a suit custom tailored to fit your specific uh, needs.
1: Exactly, and that's a great way to look yeah. at
0: it. <laughs> Most of what I buy is off the rack, but anyway, <laughs> it is it is nice, you know, if you can actually get something that fits your the unique needs of your family. Exactly, and and we have a lot of room for that in collaborative and also mm-hmm. mediation.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so, and a lot of the difficulty in, in mediation, what makes it difficult, and you and I both mediate collaborative cases also. So a lot of times the really good collaborative attorneys will figure out that the case may just not be settling even though you're doing it collaboratively. And it, it helps to get a collaboratively trained mediator in to help just cross that finish line. And, um, and, and a lot of the problem if you're in traditional litigation is that sometimes, unfortunately, the the case is managed by an attorney who may love to litigate, mm-hmm. and they live for that. And in the past, that was awesome because you know you and I were both trained by litigation firms, um, and we had great training. But times have changed, and people don't want that war anymore.
0: Right. And for good reason, because the war, as we always say, it, it, you know, it makes the lawyers rich, but it, it leaves the families hurt. And um, and we have better tools in our toolbox to help families be able to navigate this process. Yes.
1: And, you know, mediation is a relatively new process. I mean, the, the, uh, the first mediation code wasn't created by the legislature until uh, 1985. So that's not that long ago. And the Texas Associated... Association of Mediators was created right about that time, which is right when I got out of law school, actually. So until I was out of law school, there was no such thing as formal mediation, which is very interesting. How
0: have you seen mediation change over the years?
1: Um, I think when it first started, people were very interested in having everybody in one room. And sometimes that just doesn't work. (laughs) Sometimes you have to do what we call the caucus uh, method. And uh, the lawyer gets a lot of exercise, at least we did before COVID, walking back and forth between rooms um, and taking settlement offers back and forth, possibly pulling the attorneys into one room without the clients, possibly even pulling the clients into one room without the attorneys. (laughs) Um, So I think it's evolved much more into a a caucus method now. Would you agree? I mean, I think it's rare that that my clients want to be all day long in the same room negotiating.
0: You know, one of the things that I've seen that happens and I think really the wisdom behind that caucus style meaning that we're in separate rooms, the parties aren't together is is because of triggers, right? And so the parties know how to trigger each other, the lawyers probably also know how to trigger each other. Mm-hmm. And so when we're triggered, we're not able to be Problem solvers. We're not able to think creatively. And so, by having people in separate rooms, everybody has their own space, we can all breathe. You know, we're going to have to take the time we need to consider that last offer and kind of, you know, walk down off the wall. Because usually, when an offer comes in, it, it usually is upsetting at some level. Right. And really kind of recalibrate and then begin to engage in the problem-solving process right so i think there's a lot of wisdom to doing that caucus style i was also going to say i think one of the great um, benefits of working with a collaboratively trained mediator is that you know you really understand the value of creative problem solving i mean you as a collaborative attorney you know you sat in the room before and and engaged in the problem-solving process right that's using interests, you know, looking at goals and interests. Right. And so I, th- I think it's very valuable to have an attorney who, who really values that and understands that.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And it's, you know, it's different than a, than a personal injury case, for example. How much money am I gonna get on my pocket at the, at the end of the day for the injuries that I sustained? There's really not that many um, goals and interests other than that. Uh, you know, another place where collaborative mediation is great as in the probate litigation world. And I do some probate litigation mediation as well. And uh, they haven't been as quick to adopt the collaborative process, unfortunately, because if you think about it, probate litigation really is kind of like family uh, related. (laughs) I mean, it's (laughs) family-related. It's it's families fighting over money or fighting over the care of someone that's um, in need. And so, uh, you know, goals and interests in that are are very important as well.
0: That's great. Um, You started in family law many years ago. What what brought you into family law?
1: I was hired by a firm that had a small family law faction uh, as into their business litigation um, section. And then um, my boss, uh, the boss of the family law section, had me come over and start working on cases, um, actually did his first adoption for him. And that's how I got into, I, I do a lot of adoption work as well. And so I just kind of segued from the business litigation section over into the family law section, which at that point there were two people. And now, um, now that firm is one of the premier family law firms in the country. Um, I was there for a while, but I always, I always like to try to get things settled. I didn't love running to the courthouse. um, And then when mediation, the mediation statute came up and and was created right when I started practicing law. So I was lucky to have been able to start mediating way long time ago. (laughs) And um, I actually did on on a collaborative um, case, the first collaborative case with your old boss in Texas. Right. Uh, And that was a really long time ago. (laughs) Uh, I wish I could remember how long ago. It was 20 something years ago, but we did the first collaborative case and it was very different back then than it is now. There was not a team, really a team method. I know, I,
0: I know one of the things that clients really like about the collaborative process is that team model. I know mm-hmm. they usually really like working with the neutrals, the financial and the mental health professional.
1: Well, and it allows the lawyers to step back. So, it, you know, if you think of the cost of a collaborative process, it's not both lawyers all the time working with both financial and the mental health professional. The lawyers get to step back and wait to see what the what goals and interests have been met through the financial neutral and the mental health neutral and then we can paper that. We can obviously help in that process, but it really allows specifically trained people to help our clients as opposed to us running in and trying to act like a psychologist or a financial planner, so.
0: <laughs> exactly. Now, there are some cases that where pe- people are pretty much in agreement. I mean, it does happen when they come into the divorce process and and they have already outlined or identified their main goals and they're, they're in alignment. And so we might not need a full collaborative process, right. but we might, we might do the divorce more in a cooperative way. Um, what, for you, defines a cooperative process?
1: A cooperative process, I think, is one where, for some reason, the the clients just aren't that comfortable signing a collaborative participation agreement, which would require the withdrawal of their counsel if it didn't settle. A lot of times, it's a lawyer issue. Um, if you get an untrained collab, you know, cooperative lawyer that hasn't been trained in the collaborative process, um, they probably don't want, a lot of times, to sign away their rights to continue representing and and reeling in the cash. Right. Um, So, I will not, it's very difficult to do a cooperative case unless you really trust the lawyer on the other side because you're not protected by the legislative statutory umbrella of the collaborative process. Um, So, you just have to be really careful with it. Now, you can still do it. I think you and I have had a couple of cooperative cases recently that we actually didn't sign a collaborative participation agreement. But you and I also know each other and trust each other. And, you know, we knew we were going to be able to work things out.
0: You know, it's an interesting thing because I think a lot of people think coming into the divorce process that they need to hire the meanest lawyer to go fight the battle. And, um, you know, working with you and other great lawyers across the the process that, you know, you and I both know that there's a lot of value to hiring lawyers who actually work really well together. Yes. Um, how do you describe that for clients or, or what would you tell somebody who's looking for a divorce lawyer?
1: You know, that that's a really hard thing to do, because uh, if if the clients. Um, Call me, you know, if, if I mediate a case for two people that don't have attorneys, I cannot draft the paperwork for them. So we can draft a mediated settlement agreement that then they have to go and get an attorney, uh, to actually draft. And I will always refer them to a collaboratively trained attorney. Um, so, uh, I forgot your specific question. I was asking about, about,
0: you know, people who are out looking for oh, lawyers. Should you hire somebody right. who is the arch nemesis right. of your of your divorce attor- of your spouse's divorce attorney, or should you hire, you know, should you and your spouse considering hiring lawyers who actually get along with each
1: other? Right, and that's that's hard because when people come in, they may have preconceived notions that they do have to hire the biggest baddest, and so to refer, I think people have a inherent distrust of who. Their wife's attorney is referring them to, Um, so you just have to word it in such a way that this is a great lawyer. You know, he or she is a great litigator as well, um, but they're not going to take your money and run. They're going to really try to work with you and your um, and my client to try to get you guys both, what's the best deal for the family? Not what's the best deal for you, what's the best deal you know I can get and, and scorch earth the other side, but really what's gonna maintain a good relationship between the parents or the ex-spouses and foster the children's mental health and well-being. Because I, one thing I can promise my clients is if they do fight and they pull their kids into it, they will ah. have really messed up kids in the future and, and young adults that can't get into real relationships and, um. I think that's just super important.
0: I think the trauma on children is something that could be a whole nother a whole another session. I, I'm sure you. I'm, I'm sure I've you'll have one. <laughs> Seeing you know, I mean, kiddos who really end up in bad bad shape because of the conflict of parents. Right. And I always want people to realize this is a long game, right? So you you know we can go all in and win the, in the short term, but you have to think about the long term costs of that and exactly. what is that going to mean on your family. Right. And so I think looking at it in a more global perspective is a much healthier way for your life right i mean this isn't you know divorce isn't um it isn't your defining moment it's just it's a period of transition and and you want the rest of your life to to be really good
1: yeah you know it's a rare occasion that i have to be rehired by a client that started in the collaborative process to do a modification in the future it's very common that i'm hired (laughs) three four sometimes five times by clients that litigated their initial divorce action. And I think that says it all. I mean, if if we're hired by collaborative clients in the future, it's because they call us and say, hey, we agreed to lower child support because of the pandemic, or we agreed that it would be better to um, do a more even possession schedule because the kids are older now and they're driving, and why do we still need to do first, third, and fifth? Right. Um, but the litigation clients that started off in the train wreck—that's—it's very difficult to ever pull them out of that.
0: I, I agree, and we see that go on and on. And it really—that becomes your life—is fighting yeah. this fight with somebody. You know, um, our family, our 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 system is an adversarial process. It is a litigation system and you know i just i just think we need to be careful and we owe it to families to help them avoid it if they can it can't be avoided in every circumstance absolutely but you know when this is your family and your future and you're taking it into this you know dog fight you just you need to be careful and tread cautiously
1: yes which is yes. why i
0: love getting to work with lawyers like you shannon because yeah. you know you and i both share that love of family and we both value family and we both know what a good constructive divorce can mean for a family. Yes. Thank you for coming.
1: Thank and you for having me. me. I appreciate it. Thanks. I'm glad. I, I'm glad we weren't too wet coming <laughs> through this rainstorm this morning. But anyway, thank you so much. Absolutely.